Welcome to The Favorites, the podcast from the Action Network. I am Chad Millman. Listen, week one of college football is coming up, and uh, we have an amazing guest later on in the show. Connor O'Gara, at CJ O'Gara on Twitter. He is a columnist for Saturday Down South. He's got great insight into betting the week one games since he's been covering this thing nonstop and is all over it for SaturdayDownSouth.com. But first up, as always, bookmaker of the world from Boyd Gaming, here he comes, Mr. Bob Scucci. My brother. Chad, what's going on? Scooch, week one of college football is here. I feel like college football is getting bigger and bigger every year. And I know that sort of sounds weird. Like, why do you feel that way when this sport has been a massively popular sport for uh, 150 years? But here's the truth. Um, The ratings for that Miami-Florida game were massive. Our numbers on the first Saturday of college football were massive. They were rivaling what we had done during uh, March Madness, which are the biggest days we ever had. I would bet that the activity in your sports book for basically two prime college football games was extraordinary. And my take is that betting has a lot to do with it. What do you think? I think absolutely. I think you know now that uh, uh, sports books are up and running in eight different states, uh, it, it, the, the mass appeal is starting to to, to really take effect in, in both betting and viewership, I think. You know, there's always been the relationship between betting and watching, you know, particularly if there's a team that's supposed to win by 20 or 30 points. Unless there's kind of a rooting interest from a betting perspective, you know, w- what else is there to kind of keep you captivated watching that game? So I, I think the viewership is directly related to, to betting, and I think, it, I think both are going to be uh, getting bigger and bigger in the next two years. So let's t- let's talk about that Miami versus Florida game. The total on that game was anywhere from, I think, as low as 45 or 46 all the way up to maybe 50. And the final score was 24-20. And in the last three minutes, there was a litany of pass interference calls, fumbles that were recovered by Miami, um, all these things that, from the perspective of underbetters, probably had them feeling like there is already some kind of karmic conspiracy against them. <laughs> like the gods just did not want that game to go under. Um, what yeah. side of the game were the books on? And uh, tell me how you were feeling during that game at the end. Uh, pro- so the books needed uh, uh, the favorite. We needed Florida. We opened the game. I think we we're as high as eight at one point. We closed at seven. A lot of money coming in on Miami. And I actually like the underdog in that game just from from keeping track of, of a local kid tate martell the martell tate or whatever uh the, the kid from yeah. local high school here that uh is on the team uh i i knew that they would be a live dog in, in that game so um uh we didn't we didn't need miami but um uh, uh obviously they played they played a great game from the under perspective uh we needed it to stay under so that that worked in our favor i think uh, just most of the public were on uh, the over uh, some of the sharp betters were on the under but 
you know, the way that the, the game ended, I mean, obviously there was a lot of penalties uh, throughout the game. I think Miami played a little bit of a sloppy game from the penalty uh, perspective of it. Um, you, you know, from someone watching sports from a betting angle for all these years, it's it's nothing uncommon to me to see that kind of effect. Like, in other words, you're rooting for a particular over or under, and you think that there's something going on to prevent it from hitting that number. It's just the way it goes. There's nobody orchestrating that. So let me just kind of clear that up right away. Uh, I, I've seen a, <laughs> seen a lot of games that you think are uh, – you know, it can't possibly go this way, and it does. Uh, but uh, in the sports book, people were just kind of like uh, it, it was pretty loud, cheering on every play because half the half the room had the over, the other half had the under. So uh, I, I think it's exciting when it's kind of sitting right at the number like that, and the teams right in the red zone, and that kind of puts the game over and it affects the money line. Uh, could, it couldn't have started with a better game to open the college football season. You do forget it's almost like a muscle, like you got to work out how different the feeling is when you are sweating a football game versus anything else. It is a different pace. There's a different dramatic note to the rhythm of watching football and sort of how everything builds up to sort of a climax that is just a couple seconds long. I don't mean a double entendre there. And, um, <laughs> and uh, because it is like you, it's a, you don't feel that way when you're sweating a basketball game or sweating a baseball game as you do when you're sweating a football game. You just don't. It's like it's an entirely different I muscle. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, you know, there's so much drama in, in football, partially because, like you said, the pace of the game, you know, you're leading up to the particular play, so the drama is kind of enhancing. You, you don't get that in basketball because it's so fluid. It's back and forth. You only get it in basketball at the end, you know, the last 20 seconds of the game when there's a lot of timeouts and you're kind of building up to that last shot. But uh, in, in football, you get so much drama on key plays during the game you know those third down plays that kind of make or break uh, whether your your team is going to cover so um like i said it's exciting to see it back uh uh after after a long off season and sweating a lot of baseball games it's great to get back in the football swing of things meanwhile in the middle of all that adam schefter tweets out that andrew luck is retiring forces andrew luck to up the schedule for when he was going to release that news and go from sunday to saturday night um, I know with the Action Network, we were immediately in Slack trading messages. What does this do to the future odds? What does this do to the division odds? What does this do to the win totals? How are we updating the fantasy pro the fantasy projections and models? Um, what is that moment like for you in a sports book when a high profile player like Andrew Luck is unexpectedly announcing his retirement? It's zero to 60 in like, you know, two seconds. You're trying to scramble to find out everything that impacts uh, that, that his retiring impacts that you have on the betting board. So right, right, right away, we try to suspend betting on game one, uh, the preseason game, game, game one of the regular season, odds to win the division, odds to win the AFC, odds to win the Super Bowl, and any other props that are associated with it. So, you know, eventually, then we'll eventually adjust. So we went from the season win total from nine and a half down to seven and a half. Uh, we, we moved their future odds in the AFC from uh, 25 to one. To, uh, I'm sorry, from six to one up to 50 to one. And then the, the uh, odds to win the, uh, the, the Super Bowl, we, we went from 
uh, 25 to 1 to 250 to 1. So, you know, everything is just fast and furious, and, we're, we, and, and you have to move quickly before all the bets come in. And, you know, he's not the only one. And, and I've often said, you know, we kind of, kind of like the stock market. You, you buy on the rumor and you sell on the news. The, the bettors are going to take a chance as soon as they hear something, whether it's actual or not. You know, they, they, they take a shot on betting on the rumor. And then if it turns out to be true, then they could either try and get off the bet or, or kind of hedge in some way. So we have to be really quick because as soon as we hear the rumor, we, we take the betting off until we kind of assess the situation. And so how long before you down and then when did you go back up? So as soon as we knew that it was for real, you know, that, that he was definitely retired and that this was not just kind of uh, lip service, um, uh, then we went up as soon as the, the, the next day, as soon as we knew that it was for real. And then we adjusted everything. We adjusted the division odds, the FC odds. Uh, we went in, in game one, the Chargers were a three-point favorite. They're now a seven-point favorite without luck. So uh, made, a, made a lot of adjustments very quickly. Um, and, and then, you know, in other instances, you know, where like Cam Newton was in a walking boot, you know, we do the same thing there. And then we, then we adjust. And, you know, it's just constantly you have to pay attention. You have to uh, look at as many sources as, as you can to see uh, what's real and, and what's kind of uh, expected. Uh I feel like you didn't adjust enough. A lot of other books went from nine and a half down to six and a half on the Colts. That we didn't adjust enough. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I mean, we'll let the money dictate it. But um, uh, right now at uh, at seven and a half, um, we're still getting we're not getting any big bets, uh, but we probably should adjust a little bit more. Um, I guess we'll see how uh, uh, how they look uh, in their their, their final game. Uh, with, with I don't know if Jacoby Brissett's going to get any playing time, but uh, they they've they've got to make some moves quick. I think you're going to find that I'm right, and I think you're going to find that from now on, you probably should call me before <laughs> you make any big high profile moves because I'm very attuned to uh, the consumer markets when it comes to betting. Well. I, the reality is, is the Colts had a really good team. Now, obviously, luck is 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 a big part of that, and I don't mean that as a pun. <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I, I mean, the, some of the conversation was, you know, should should luck go through rehab half the season, with the understanding that Brissett could probably take them to a four and four record going into the latter half of the season. So, you know, if, if he's expected to get four wins just the first half of the season, you know, it's not a big stretch that he could eke out, uh, you know, another, another three. Uh, so I don't know. You're, you're, I'm kind of talking myself out of what my number is. So I'm kind of <laughs> leading towards going under the seven and a half. So as always, Chad, you are right. You know, also with your pun, you have made this the most literate betting podcast in the history of betting podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> the most literate podcast. Okay. That, by the way, that'll get us some yeah. listeners. The the favorites, sure. the most literate betting podcast in town. <laughs> I like it. That'll amp up the numbers. Hey, listen, by the way, don't sure. forget people, uh, Connor O'Gara from Saturday Down South is coming on next. He's going to talk a lot about this weekend's uh, week one for college football, the bets that he likes the most, um, the team outside of the the most obvious 
college football playoff favorites that he would put his money on, um, the top 25 that he thinks is the best value this weekend. Um, and if he had to choose between the two biggest favorites uh, to bet this weekend, Clemson at minus 37.5 over Georgia Tech or Penn State minus 39 over Idaho, who would you choose to bet on if you had to bet one of the favorites? Connor's going to answer all those questions. Scooch, who yeah. would you bet? Who would you bet if you had to bet? Uh, you had to bet Penn State minus thirty nine or Clemson minus thirty seven and a half. I'm taking Clemson. How come? They're just a, they're, they're <clears throat> against Georgia Tech. How come? Well, you know, I'm just you're just throwing it at me. So, uh, well, I'm uh, asking you to take. Why are you taking Clemson as the biggest favorite? These were the two biggest favorites in the top twenty five. So, why would you take Clemson instead of Penn State? more confidence in, in who, who would run up a score more uh, out of those two teams. And, and I think it, and I think it would just be Clemson that would be able to put up, you know, 50, 60 points, uh, knowing what their offense is, is capable of. And, and I just have more confidence that in Clemson's offense than Penn States, that, uh, that they're going to put up like a 50 or 60 spot. Yeah. I don't disagree with you. I also don't like the fact that Georgia Tech is basically trying to build a brand new offense right now. Um, and then they got to open the season against one of the generationally great college football teams against a quarterback who might end up winning the Heisman this year and in the year after winning a national title as a freshman and will probably end up his career as like as storied as Paul Horning. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just came up with that. I didn't need the time. You just off the top of your head, just rattle it off. Give me the five games right now that the wise guys are betting the most as we head into week one. A little bit on uh, Texas over Louisiana Tech. Got some some big money there. What's the number? Um, Texas over La Tech. Yeah, so we went from... um, We went from 19.5 up to 21.5. Missouri over uh, Wyoming, a big move there. The number went from 14.5 up to 17.5. So a lot of money on on Missouri there. Do you feel like three points in college football between a team that is, you know, SEC, even if it's Mizzou, that isn't going to do anything special this offseason or this this postseason versus Wyoming, you think three points is a big move? Like what makes that a big move to you? Well, I, I will say in college football that three-point moves are more the norm than they ever used to be. Yeah, so, that's what so, I mean. So we are, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so if you if you know that, that's also why if you look at teaser payouts, a, a six-point teaser in college football uh, is uh, a lot more than a six-point teaser in NFL football for that very reason that the, the six points in, in the NFL means a lot more. Uh, than than it does in college, and so so yeah, we are seeing those 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 bigger swings, um, uh, style of game. Uh, you know the, the the scoring is is up in college football. So there's a there's a number of factors that kind of lessen the value of a one point move or three point move. So, uh, but we have seen it, have noticed it. All right, um, what else you got? Um. A lot on UCLA uh, against Cincinnati. That's another. Um, I mean, that's around the key number. 
So uh, not a big line move, but just a lot of money on uh, on, on UCLA. Um, probably the, the, the biggest. Uh, Wisconsin, we have a lot of money, but, I mean, that's kind of a public game over South Florida yeah. at uh, minus, minus 12 and a half. Not, that's probably not uh, sharp money. That's, in fact, we have a couple of sharp bets on South Florida there, but just a ton of money on Wisconsin. And uh, the other one that the wise guys are on where the public is on the opposite team is Oklahoma State, Oregon State. Oklahoma State's minus 13 and a half now, and the public is overwhelmingly on Oak State, but the wise guys are on Oregon State. So a uh, lot of money on Oregon State there. And we've gone from 17 down to 14 and a half on that one, uh, or 17 down to 13 and a half on that one. Wow. So, again, yeah. Oregon State, one of the worst teams of the past decade, is getting that much money <laughs> against a high-flying Mike Gundy, Oklahoma State Cowboy offense. What's going on there? Yeah, that that one scares me a little bit. I mean, I uh, I know Oregon State's a lot going to be a lot better than uh, than they have been in previous seasons, but that's not saying much. Uh, getting double digits at home. Uh, it's it's a wise guy play, but to this extent, uh, scares me a little bit. And I don't want to be in a position where I'm sitting at 13 and a half too long because the public is on Oak State. Uh, you know, I'll be quick to move this right back up as we as we draw closer to game time. And that's another thing that we have seen a trend as well. We've seen a lot of these big points swings, but we half of them go back to the opening number. So so it's kind of deciphering which ones are the real plays. And which ones are just kind of trying to manipulate the market? Someone's trying to. You ready? Are you ready? Oh my God! Talk um, about literate. Yeah. Here you go. You ready? Yeah. Someone's trying yeah. to screw the scooch. <laughs> that is literal. <laughs> you get it. Instead of like get, screw the yeah, pooch. It's a pun on screw the pooch. Yeah. Yeah. They're just trying to screw the scooch. We are Tongue so. We are so punny. That's a good one. You're on a roll. Oh, my God. We better stop. (laughs) Hey, here's my last question for you. My last question for you before I let you go. Uh, Okay. We are 72 hours or so away from kickoff for week one, 50 games this weekend. You will then sort of have a really good sense of where you are most vulnerable for the national title. Right now, what team makes you the most vulnerable to win the national title? It's probably Georgia. You're talking about like in, in terms of uh, liability and yeah, everything? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there was, a, there was just a lot of money on Georgia. They figured they were the, the best team to contend with Clemson and Alabama. Um, Notre Dame is right up there, again, just because of their popularity and their national appeal. Uh, not so much because from a wise guy perspective, but certainly a lot of people like Georgia. I'm so glad I asked you that question, Scooch, because not even knowing that was the case, you have given me the perfect transition into our next guest who is going to talk a lot about why he loves Georgia to win it all. And that would be (laughs) Connor O'Gara from Saturday down South. Bob Scucci, as always, thank you for coming on your podcast. You're on every week now. Football season starting every week through the end of the year. Bob Scucci is going to be on with me. All right. All right, buddy. Thanks, man. As promised, next up on the favorites, the podcast, it's almost like this guy's my doppelganger. Connor O'Gara at CJ O'Gara, C-J-O-G-A-R-A on Twitter. Senior national columnist for, senior national columnist 
for SaturdayDownSouth.com, co-host of the Saturday Down South podcast. You know what that means? He knows a lot about college football, especially in the South. And he's from Chicago. He graduated from IU, Indiana University, the only IU, and also got parking tickets parked outside of Ernie Pyle Hall when we both were working at the Indiana Daily Student, separated by mere decades. Connor, thanks for coming on the podcast, man. Yeah, thanks for thanks for having me. It's always it's always great to meet uh, to meet an IU alum. I, I feel like it's such a small world, and at the same time, the alumni base is is so massive. Even down here in Orlando, I'll run into Indiana alums every once in a while, and I'm like, oh yeah, that's that's what happens when you go to a Big Ten school that had like forty thousand enrollment. So, um, did you actually go to IU football games? Because I did. I think I was the only person who basically went to every IU football game. Yeah, I mean, define go to. If go to means go to tailgates, then I mean, yeah, I went to a ton of IU football games. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I went to pretty much every game as a freshman, and then sophomore year that kind of faded, and then junior year I covered the team uh, for for the Indiana Daily Students, so I, w- I was at every game. And then senior year, yeah, I've got back to my my tailgating ways a little bit more so. But yeah, I can't say that I sat there and it became a diehard IU football fan. So when you were covering college football, is that when you sort of got the bug and you're like, I got to do this full time. I got to find a way to do this for a living. And then uh, I got to find a way to do it in an actual football region, not Indiana. You know, it's funny you mentioned that because back in the day, the way that the hierarchy used to work at a place like Indiana, we cover football so that we can cover basketball because that's what everybody cares about. And football is kind of the the step below the basketball beat. I remember getting to school at IU and being a freshman and, and signing up to join the newspaper and just thinking to myself, man, if I could just cover the basketball team one day, that would be like made in the shade. And so I covered the, the football team as a junior and then did sports, was sports editor my second semester that year and then was fortunate enough to be able to cover basketball. But at the time, I kept thinking to myself, college basketball, I, I could make a living doing that. And I didn't really have the the college football itch. I didn't really grow up with it in the same way that so many people around my area down here did because I grew up in the Northwest suburbs of Chicago where, you know, my aunt would take me to Northwestern games or everyone saw I'd go down to Champaign for an Illinois game. And it's just a totally different atmosphere. So to me, you know, I was raised loving college basketball and in pro sports as well, growing up where, where I did. So I, I didn't really get the college football itch actually until I, I, you know, after I graduated, I, I worked out in central Nebraska covering high school sports for a local newspaper. And, you know, one of the things that I, that I did with that is I would make the two hour drive every uh, Saturday in the fall to go cover Nebraska football home games. And seeing those, I kind of just took me back and I was like, wow, this college football really is as crazy as people say it is. And that ultimately is what led to this opportunity that I was able to get with Saturday down South and Saturday tradition. So yeah, in kind of a weird way, I guess that was the beginning of it. But at the time, I was I was focused on doing college basketball. Yeah, it's so funny you say that because I remember uh, I was on the same path. I covered uh, IU women's volleyball, then I covered IU wrestling, then I covered IU baseball, and the next gig that I was going to get was IU football, and then I was going to cover IU basketball, and um, that was like the the path, right? And um, my junior year. Uh, instead of staying in school, I went to London and oh, wow. for a semester. 
And so they didn't, I couldn't cover the basketball team and I couldn't cover the football team. Um, so I missed out on covering IU basketball. I feel like it worked out okay, but uh, that like covering college football or college basketball for your school newspaper is a phenomenal experience and like a phenomenal proving ground. Like you get to learn what it's like to cover something at a really high level for a place that very few people are reading, but everybody is passionate about. And it means a lot to the players. Like you get an outsized amount of attention. You get to deal with what it's like to be criticizing the people that you're covering and have them have to react to that. Oh, absolutely. And it was just a a fantastic way to get started. I always say to people, if you're in the journalism school, that's like, cool, like, great. You're taking classes. That's all well and good. You are the real, the real life, real world job experience, actually being out in the field and doing student newspaper, I think should be a prerequisite for any journalism student, whether you want to do newspaper or, or not, or, you know, into that field, because I think it just teaches you actually how to write and how to work on deadlines and to get to do so while covering uh, a Big Ten football program and a Big Ten basketball program. It, it was just such a blessing. And I realized looking back now to be able to do that at, you know, 19, 20, 21 years old is just is in such an incredible opportunity. And I'm, I'm grateful that I was able to get that opportunity as early as I did. All right. So let's get down to brass tacks here because the college football season opens in earnest week, this, this weekend, week one. Uh, Georgia is one of the most interesting teams to me. And obviously you're writing for Saturday Down South. You're living in the South. Um, they're going to be at the centerpiece of a lot of conversations, generally in the SEC, they've kind of been dominant. And you wrote about this earlier this summer, like what they've done the past two seasons with Kirby Smart. They've won every one of their games by 14 points. Their average margin of victory is 25 points. In 720 total minutes of game time, they've trailed nine and a half minutes. And kudos to Matt Mitchell, producer podcast extraordinaire, for giving me all these stats from your story. So here's the question. (laughs) Here's the question. Do you bet... Georgia not to win the East or Alabama not to make the playoff? Well, I got Georgia winning the national championship, so where do I fall on that? Um, I I think this is the year for for Georgia, and I think that Bama makes the playoff as well. I think what ultimately happens, I know that's hedging a little bit, but um, I, I think what ultimately happens this year is I think Bama goes into the SEC championship undefeated, just as it did last year. Georgia goes in with one loss, just as it did last year, but this time, I think Georgia is finally able to get over the hump, and I think they're finally able to beat Alabama, and that paves the way. That's that's the, the remaining hurdle for them, and I think that they'll ultimately go on to, to win two games and, and capture their first national championship since 1980. And now I've, I've gone back and forth on this throughout the offseason, but I just think that sense of urgency is there. I think they have the offensive line where they're going to be able to impose their will against basically every team that they face, maybe with the exception of a team like Auburn. And I'm including Alabama in that group. I think that that Auburn defensive line is just as good as it gets in the country. But Georgia's up front is just going to be able to bully people. And I think that once they figure out what those receiving options are, I mean, there's talent there. they got a couple five-star guys, George Pickens. Uh, they got another one, Demetrius Robertson, who's a former Cal transfer who's expected to do some big things this year. Once they figure out what those weapons are, I think that this team is really going to take off. And you know, I've been high on Jake Fromm since the, the, the first start that he made against Notre Dame two years ago. And I think that he is the type of guy that you want leading your team. DeAndre Swift in the backfield is just uh, just devastating. I mean, that's the one word that I would use to describe him. And I, I think he will be in the Heisman Trophy conversation. So, yeah, 
I, I am high on Georgia, and that's not to say I'm not high on Bama. I think the revenge tour will go through the SEC. I think it'll be another dominant year in the conference, but uh, I think that Georgia is just going to finally have that thing to get over the hump. And I know people have said that before, but you know, I was there at the SEC championship last year, and I just saw how close that game really was, and and how just Georgia had them right where they wanted them. I mean, they really did. And then Jalen Hurts came in and saved the day. So yeah, I'm I'm willing to to put my chips on the dogs this year. I, I like the odds that they're getting. Uh, as, as compared to you know Alabama and Clemson, which are the overwhelming favorites, obviously to win a national championship this year. All right. So, but you didn't really answer the question because so <laughs> so then the answer is you would take you. I guess you would take Alabama not making the playoff because you wouldn't bet Georgia not winning the East. Well, I would bet Georgia winning the East. I, I have Bama making the playoff as a four seed. Okay. Um, so getting really, really close. And then I have, yeah, I don't, I don't think Georgia is going to lose a game in the division. I think they, their only regular season loss would be to Auburn. And then I would have Bama still getting into the playoff, even though they would lose to Georgia at 12 and 0, I think they would still get the four seed and then they'd be able to beat out, you know, like maybe they'd be able to beat out like a Washington or an Oklahoma a team that could win a conference championship with one loss and still not make it in. All right. So, that answers my second question, which is Alabama to go over 11 wins is minus 160. Um, Stucky, who is our college football genius, you should everyone should go download the Action Network Colleges podcast um, because Stucky has been predicting all preseason that Alabama will lose at least one, if not two, of uh, the following road games, Texas A&M, at Mississippi State, or at Auburn. So... You clearly have them winning 12 games. You have them getting into the playoffs. Why do you feel that way? Why do you think that they won't succumb on the road to uh, one of those three teams? Yeah, I just think that it's uh, it's the Bama revenge tour. I mean, I, I've seen the way that Nick Saban's teams respond to losing in, in the playoff or losing a bowl game. When Nick Saban's teams have come back after losing a bowl game, he has won a national championship in four of those five years. And I realized that I, me not having Bama to win a national championship was like, well, why don't you? But um, I, like I said, I just think Georgia's going to have that that advantage, and I think that Bama is ultimately going to lose in the playoff to Clemson. But you know, I don't think that Bama is going to lose one of those road games. I, I think last year, watching what they were able to do, at, you know, let's let, we talk about how easy the schedule was for, for Bama last year. At the same time, though, like. Let's not forget that they went into LSU and, and, and won that game 29 to nothing. I mean, that, that atmosphere was hostile. It was a top three LSU team, and Bama went in there and, and just smacked them, just smacked them back to reality. Uh, I think that A&M is an interesting matchup. I almost wanted to, to pull the trigger on that because I think Calamon really is able to play to his competition. We saw that last year with what he did against that really good Clemson defensive line. I think he's actually played pretty well against Bama the last couple years, and I don't think he's going to be intimidated by that. I think A&M has an interesting matchup in the trenches, but I still have Bama winning that game. I still have them beating uh, a really solid Mississippi State team this year as well. I understand that that game was really close a couple years ago. One of Jalen Hurts' best performances that people kind of forget about, he staged a comeback there in Starkville to be able to pull off that victory back in 2017. And, yeah, I I think that they go into Jordan-Hare this year, and I I think they beat Auburn. I, I think that Tua stretches that defense in a way that it's not necessarily going to be prepared to defend, and I think that that Bama completes a, another 12-0 regular season. Although, you know, those games, 
I wouldn't. It wouldn't absolutely stun me if one of those teams won, but I'm I'm just not predicting at this point. How much inflated? How inflated do you think Alabama is as a favorite in every single game? How much do you think bookmakers account for the public perception that Alabama, no matter where they're playing, uh, is going to be the team that gets all the money? Well, I mean, I think they account for it a lot, and I think they actually accounted for it a little bit, maybe a little bit too much in this this first game. Uh, that you know, this line started at what thirty and a half or thirty, and now it's at like thirty four and a half against Duke. And you know, I'll be there on Saturday, and I actually just finished writing a column, basically saying like, hey, you know, I, as much as I think Bama is going to dominate in the opener, I, I know that Saban has won twelve openers by an average of twenty eight point eight points, and, and they've just blown the water out of out of so many Power Five teams to start the season. I could see a slower start for for Bama, and I, it's kind of holding me back from saying, "Yeah, I'm just going to give thirty, you know, thirty four and a half points." Uh, I could see a slower start just because I think Sarkeesian trying to figure out what those, you know, what the the offensive pieces are going to work like this year. I think that's going to be a little bit of a of a tougher battle than some people are expecting, and I think there could potentially be a slow start. But you know, to answer your question, I do think that Vegas usually accounts for that. I, I think that. You know, Bama usually is going to get the benefit of the doubt when it comes to, you know, anytime they face a group of five or an FCS team. It's, it, I mean, it is always really interesting now because the spread has gotten to the point where, you know, if we're talking about 49, 48 points, whatever it is, like th- that is actually something worth watching. These games could be back and forth in that department. But especially the year that Alabama had last year where, it's, I mean, they just they blew teams out of the water. And th- that, that high-flying offense just kind of takes us to a new level. I think Vegas is absolutely going to account for that. And the fact that they have household names, you know, at the skill positions definitely helps them. Well, speaking of which, so who are the five games, which are the five games right now when you're looking at this from a point spread perspective where you're like, I know as much about college football as anybody, this one doesn't make sense to me. Ooh, that's a good question. So are we just talking week one or are we talking week one this year? Just week one. Week one. Okay. So, I know this is unpopular, but I think Memphis covers that that six point spread against Ole Miss. I think Memphis Memphis is my pick this year to go to the New Year's Six as a Group of Five team, and I, I think that given how inexperienced Ole Miss is, I mean it's the least experienced team in terms of percentage of returning production of any team in the country on, on the offensive side, and I think that Memphis is able to to score a whole lot of points against a, an Ole Miss defense that's been really bad the last couple of years, and I think that. That's six points to me. I'll, I'll take Memphis at home to, to cover that, even though they are favored, the rare group of five favored over an SEC team. And then, I don't know, I, I think you could go, you could look at a lot of different places. I think, I think that Auburn is ultimately going to cover against Oregon. And I know that that line has kind of gone back and forth a little bit, and there's concern about true freshmen starting a quarterback for Auburn. But I, I just go back to, I think Auburn's going to be so much better in the trenches than they were last year. And while Oregon might have the best offensive line in the country, at least one of them, I think that the Auburn defensive line is going to be able to put some pressure on Justin Herbert, and I think that they'll be able to cover, even if that spread was four, I think at this point I would probably go with Auburn. I just have really, really liked the offseason that Gus Malzahn has had. I think as a play caller, I think he's going to be able to do some good things offensively. So, yeah, I mean, I'd probably look at those games, and then, you know, if we're looking around – um, you know, I, I don't think LSU is, is a team that I'd want to bet on week one just because I, I think that with that game against Texas in week two, they're facing a triple option team. LSU is putting in a new RPO offense. 
It's going to be in week one. Maybe they don't want to show all the secrets to it. Covering 27 and a half points just seems like a lot. And that's coming from me as somebody who's very high in the LSU offense this year. I think they'll be a top 20 offense. I love Joe Burrow. But I think covering 27 and a half just seems like a bit much against the Georgia Southern team that won 10 games last year. So um, I do think that that would be a place that I'd look. And then, yeah, look, like I, I'm, I do like Georgia a lot, and I'm going to be singing their praises a ton this year. 21, they're giving 21 at Vandy. I, I just threw out the stat on Twitter. Uh, vivid seats reported that Georgia fans are expected to account for 69% of the crowd at Vanderbilt on Saturday. I, that's going to be such a such a pro-Georgia crowd, and I think 21 on the road. I think Georgia covers that relatively easily. And even though, you know, I, I like Vandy skill players, they have a big three in Kalijah Lipscomb, Keyshawn Vaughn, and Jared Pinckney that I think are going to be really good. But I just think that Georgia dominates that defensive line, and, and I really think that they're able to, to put up a, a, a big score in that one. So those would probably be the places that I'd start at. All right, so the big that, those, that's really good stuff. The biggest number uh, this weekend amongst the top 25, it looks like it's Penn State as a 39.5-point favorite hosting Idaho. Next up, I think, is uh, Clemson. I'm looking at the Action Network app right now, is a 37-point favorite over Georgia Tech that has a brand-new coach and is trying to figure out how to no longer be you know, an, an option-forward offense. If you had to bet one of those games, Penn State 39.5 points over Idaho, Clemson 37 points over Georgia Tech, uh, which one do you take? You have to bet. I I, I, you have to bet. I'm sorry. You have to bet on the favorite. Oh, you have to bet on the favorite. I'm not betting on Penn State right now to cover. I'm, I'm, I'm not. That's that's way too, way too high of a spread. I, I'd much rather take take a team like Clemson, and that's you know a little bit more so. Penn State is just such a mystery offensively. I feel like people. I, I, I wouldn't have Penn State in my top twenty-five to start the season. I think they're a complete mystery offensively. I think that what they return at the quarterback position with Sean Clifford, they feel really good about that. But you return your most, your, you lose your most prolific passer in program history. I think Trace McSorley is, was so valuable. I mean, he's been the quarterback for every meaningful game that they've played in the last five years. And I just think that the, the, the loss that he'll have on that program will be significant. Um, and I would not trust Penn State to cover a 39.5-point spread, even though it is Idaho. And even though they do have talent on the, on the defense, of course, and I like some of their skill players. But, yeah, that, that just seems a bit lofty to me. Um, yeah, I, I would still take Clemson to cover. I think that Clemson – should be able to impose their will really at the line of scrimmage all year. I, I, I don't know who in the world is going to test them. And even though that they have, you know, all those holes on the defensive line or, you know, losing three guys like that who we didn't expect to, to you know, to be there even last year, I think that, that that's, that's something that'll, you know, come into play later in the season. But for now, yeah, give me Clemson, give me Trevor Lawrence to be able to cover pretty much any spread. I think Tra- Travis Etienne's the best running back in the country. I love Justin Ross as well the Alabama native who, of course, torched Alabama the national championship last year. So, yeah, I, I would have a lot of confidence in, in Clemson covering. They'll be able to, to pour it on in a hurry. All right, so that, that's also great. My last question for you. If you have to make a choice right now other than Oklahoma, Clemson, Alabama, or Michigan to make the playoff, where do you think the best value is in terms of odds? Yeah, I'm. I'm just, I'll stick with Georgia. Like that's is, is that. Wait, my didn't I say? I didn't I say Georgia? Did I not include Georgia? Yeah. Who did I okay, say? If George, 
I said, didn't I say, I thought I said Georgia, Alabama, or no, I said Clemson. Take Michigan and out, put Georgia in. Georgia, then, Alabama, then, Clemson, Oklahoma. Then I'd probably go Michigan. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'd probably go Michigan just because, you know, and I know I've said it with Georgia. I think that this is this is just finally set up really well for, for Michigan to do this. And I'm not just saying that as like a, a, a blind apologist. I don't say this every year about Michigan. I, I really don't. Last year I thought Wisconsin was going to come out of the Big Ten. I thought Wisconsin was going to go to the playoff. But I just think it's finally set up for Michigan. I think it's finally clicked with Harbaugh. I love the fact that he turned the entire offense over to Josh Gaddis. That's one of the more underrated storylines this offseason. Josh Gaddis, who, of course, spent last year as the co-offensive coordinator slash wide receivers coach at Alabama, previously was a major part of rebuilding Penn State's offense along with Joe Moorhead. And I just think that with Josh Gaddis in controls as the play caller, they're going to run a more modern offense, which they have needed to do for some time now. I think that they're finally going to get through. I think that, you know, predicting Ohio State is the easy thing to do probably at this point. But at the same time, I have reservations about a first-time head coach and a first-time starter at quarterback. And I think that, you know, it's, it's, I think it's been like, what, I think it's been 21 years since that, that combination, a first-time head coach and a first-time starting quarterback have started in the top five. I think that Michigan finally gets it done this year. I think they've learned a lot from what they went through at the end of last season. It was a very humbling experience for them after that great long winning streak last year. And I think the message finally gets through. I think Don Brown adjusts a little bit, maybe doesn't play as much man in those key games when you know they're facing these up-tempo offenses. And I think that Michigan finally gets it done and gets a Big Ten championship and obviously a victory against Ohio State and gets to the playoff this year. All right, C.J. O'Gara, O'Gara, at C.J. O'Gara on Twitter. You have proven, once again, why people from Chicagoland and alumnus of Indiana University's Journalism School can really do it all. Because look what you did. You moved you moved down south, and now you're a senior columnist for Saturday Down South, and you're co-hosting the Saturday Down South podcast. Great stuff. I really appreciate the insight. I appreciate the information. I appreciate you giving me bold takes in your picks for week one of college football absolutely appreciate it looking forward to doing it again soon hopefully all right brother take care all right you too all right this has been the favorites from the action network i want to thank my guests as always bob scucci from boyd gaming bookmaker to the world for coming on his podcast he's on with me every week talking lines and market moves from the perspective of las vegas and connor o'gara from SaturdayDownSouth.com, host of the Saturday Down South podcast. Follow him at CJ O'Gara. He had great stuff. Listen to the podcast, Apple Podcasts, Radio.com, slash The Action Network, anywhere you get your podcasts. Rate, review, subscribe. Until next week, love you.